Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Franz Fanon's work, Black Skin, White Masks, is a work of psychoanalytic theory, but it's also, you could say, oriented just as equally by existentialist motifs, and they kind of fuse in together. So some of the key questions that Fanon is raising in the work are that of, you know, what is actually the, the situation, trying to peel away misrepresentations of the relations between blacks and whites and and why this alienation that he's describing early on in the work is taking place and how these are connected together. So he calls this a sociodiagnostic of the situation. We could call it a sociodiagnostic of the present. He's not so much interested in tracing everything back to, you know, the past and, and this mechanistically caused this or anything like that, although he does think the past matters. And then the other key aspect of this work is determining how and where to move forward, how to get out of the dilemmas and double or triple binds that have been imposed upon both black and white subjects and people who find themselves kind of in between like him and his fellow Antillians within a world that has been determined by colonialism, racism, economic exploitation, an entire history. How do you move forward? How do you go into the future? How do you orient yourself to towards the future without becoming, as he's called it, a slave of the past. And there's, there's two sections in this work that I think are particularly relevant to this. One is, of course, his, his conclusion, which is titled By Way of Conclusion at the very end, chapter eight, but also chapter five, The Fact of Blackness, where he's tracing out a little bit of his own story in here. And so we should look first at, at chapter five, where this counter narrative is being developed and explored. And he, he goes into, you know, quite a bit of important discussion about how this takes place, a sort of celebration of African past and present. And it's really taking place in, in two different ways. There's this notion of, well, Africa is, is not a land without history as the Europeans have made it out to be. As a matter of fact, there's all these civilizations. We developed this, we did this. The we there is it's a collective, but it's also, as Fanon would say, kind of hallucinatory, a fake but imaginative we, because Africa is a continent of peoples like every other place, you know, these categories of black and white imposed through colonialism largely, don't make everybody exactly members of one big tribe or family. So there's this celebration of, uh, we could call it Africa's past, right? And then there's this sort of present that's being focused on, but it's a present that is in many respects, not a historically present present, but rather like an eternal present talking about essences of peoples. And he's, he's got these phrases. He talks about magic at a couple different points. And I, I think this is, this is quite an apt way of discussing things. So, you know, he talks about reading uh, Leopold Senor and the importance of rhythm and the experience of, of thinking about this. He says, had I read that right, I read it again with redoubled attention from the opposite end of the white world. So like the whites are at one end of the, the spectrum. A magical Negro culture was 
hailing me. Negro sculpture, I began to flush with pride. Was this our salvation? I had rationalized the world and the world had rejected me on the basis of color prejudice since no agreement was possible on the level of reason. I threw myself back towards unreason. And we see like stances like this, not just with Fanon, but with all sorts of people where they're like, well, you know, Western rationality, whiteness, all that sort of stuff. That's missing out on what's really essential in human beings. This other ethnicity, whatever it happens to be, they're more in touch with the primal, with what's really human. And so he's exploring stuff like this in terms of trying to make sense out of his own conflicts. And so he says, out of the necessities of my struggle, I'd chosen the method of regression, but it was an unfamiliar weapon. Here I am at home. I am made of the irrational. I weighed in the irrational. And so he goes on and there's some long passages here. I'm going to skip ahead quite a bit. He talks about emotive sensitivity and that Leopold Senor is saying emotion is Negro, reason is Greek. And we've, we've seen these sort of things all the time, right? In the past, this is Leopold Senor sort of channeling other people. And so he says, so here we have the Negro rehabilitated, standing before the bar, ruling the world with his intuition. The Negro recognized, set on his feet again, sought after taken up and he is a Negro. No, he is not a Negro, but the Negro exciting the fecund antenna of the world placed in the foreground of the world, reigning his poetic power on the world, all this sort of stuff. And here he talks about a magic substitution, right? And he says, like a magician, I've robbed the white man of a certain world forever after lost to him and his. Now, does this actually change anything? Is it good to like indulge oneself in these things? Fanon actually says, I'm not going to say that nobody can do it, but ultimately it doesn't really make any difference. It doesn't help anything. The rediscovery of African civilizations is not going to particularly help as well. He says, I rummaged frantically through all the antiquity of the black man. What I found there took away my breath. In his book, L'Abolition de l'Esclavage, Schulker presented us with compelling arguments since then for Benius, Westerman, Delafosse, all of them white, had joined the chorus. Segud, Eugene, cities of more than 100,000 people, accounts of learned blacks, doctors of theology who went to Mecca to interpret the Quran. All of that exhumed from the past, spread with its insides out, made it possible for me to find a valid historic place. The white man was wrong. I was not a primitive, not even a half man. I belonged to a race that had already been working in gold and silver 2000 years ago. There's a lot more discussion here as well. This is another approach. So we've got the sort of magical eternalist approach. There's the black essence, the white essence. And then we've got the historical approach that says, well, as a matter of fact, there, there was civilization in Africa. And this is true. This is, this is accurate, right? Some of the claims made by, by some people who go a little bit far that like all the Egyptians were black or stuff like that, clearly historically unfounded. And uh, Fanon would, you know, if he were around hearing that sort of stuff, he would have said, well, I don't know about that. What I do know is that there were these things in sub-Saharan Africa that were quite developed civilizations. We can say something quite similar about Native Americans here as well. Think about the, you know, civilizations that, that arose and, you know, archaeology finds them. We're here right now in the middle of here in Milwaukee and further south to Chicago, what was a, an, an immense trading network, right? Recently uncovered. Does that really change anything, discovering these things? Fanon says no. And so he talks about the problematics of what he calls the dialectic. What is the dialectic? It's thinking things through, thinking about whether talking about, you know, all these discoveries changes the current dynamic of the present. And so he says, this is on, uh, a little bit after that section, he says, 
My unreason was countered with reason, my reason with real reason. Every hand was a losing hand for me. I analyzed my heredity. I made a complete audit of my ailment. I wanted to be typically Negro. It was no longer possible. I couldn't make that recourse. I wanted to be white. That was a joke. And when I tried on the level of ideas and intellectual activity to reclaim my negritude, it was snatched away from me. Proof was presented that my effort was only a term in the dialectic. And again, he brings up Jean-Paul Sartre, who's talking about senor. And existentialism, in some respect, is making him distrustful of these essentialist approaches. A little bit later on in that section, he says that without a Negro past, without a Negro future, it was impossible for me to live my Negrohood. Not yet white, yet no longer wholly black, I was damned. Between the white man and me, the connection was irrevocably one of transcendence. And then he says something kind of interesting. He says, but the constancy of my love had been forgotten. I defined myself as an absolute intensity of beginning. So I took up my negritude and with tears in my eyes, I put its machinery together again. What had been broken to pieces was rebuilt, reconstructed by the intuitive lianas, the vines of my hands. And so this, you know, is allowing him a, a reconstruction, we can say. Not all of this has to be absolutely rejected and thrown away, but it has to be critically reappropriated. So when we look at that by way of a conclusion, what we get is a consideration of history or the orientation to the past. And he says, what I'm saying here doesn't necessarily come from the same mindset as the Negro working on a, on a sugar plantation who has to fight. And he says, the few working class people who I had the chance to know in Paris never took it on themselves to pose the discovery of the Negro past. They knew they were black, but they told me that made no difference in anything in which they were absolutely right. Discovery of this, this legendary past, it doesn't change the, the, the living conditions. It doesn't change the racism they're encountering. It doesn't help anything. I mean, it's, it might be interesting. It might give one a sense of pride, but it doesn't, it doesn't change anything in a, in a fundamental way. A little bit later on, he has this excellent discussion of this where he talks about children and he says that I am convinced it would be of the greatest interest to be able to have contact with a Negro literature or architecture of the third century before Christ. I would be happy to know that a correspondence had flourished between some Negro philosopher and Plato, but I can absolutely not see how this fact would change anything in the lives of the eight-year-old children who labor in the cane fields of Martinique or Guadalupe. How does that past and all these great discoveries, how does that change their material conditions? It doesn't. It doesn't impact it in any way. As a matter of fact, it could actually make them feel worse. They could be like, well, why do I live in this crappy condition now, right? The focus on the past, as he says, doesn't provide any helpful guidance in the present. He says, the discovery of the existence of a Negro civilization in the 15th century confers no patent of humanity on me, like it or not, the past can in no way guide me in the present moment. And he talks about becoming a slave to the past, becoming a slave to a particular interpretation of the human past, and then being stuck in this sort of cycle of wanting to attain some sort of rectification or revenge. He says, the problem considered here is one of time. Those Negroes and white men will be disalienated who refuse to let themselves be sealed away in the materialized tower of the past. And so for many, he talks about this as, I don't have a purpose on earth as avenging the Negro of the 17th century. 
I don't have to be trying to to do this. He says, as a man of color, I don't have the right to seek ways of stamping down the pride of my former master. I neither have the right nor duty to claim reparation for the domestication of my ancestors. And this is going quite far. This is where I think a lot of people would leave Fanon behind. And his response would be, I am not the slave of the slavery that dehumanized my ancestors. I may be trapped in circumstances of the present, but they're not the circumstances of the past. And I need to recognize that so I'm not just replicating an alternate history of the past, which is in many respects just as delusional as the fake white histories of the past was just fine and everything went along swimmingly, right? So this is an important thing. But what, what then do we have as orientation? He talks about this disalienation in this point. And he also says that those Negroes and white men who are going to be disalienated, disalienation will come into being through refusal to accept the present as definitive. So not even the conditions of the present can be taken for granted. We have to have an orientation towards something else, something more. And he uses as an example, the revolts taking place in, at that time, Indochina, right, against the, the French. And he says, well, why are the Vietnamese rising up against them? It's not because they discovered some Vietnamese culture of the past. As they're like, this present sucks. We're not going to put up with it anymore. And fighting against the Japanese has, has really shown us that we can probably take on the French as well. So he says it's not because the Indochinese has discovered a culture of his own that he's in revolt. It's because quite simply, it was in more than one way becoming impossible for him to breathe, right? And so he talks about revolt as something that is a rejection of the present, says the Vietnamese who die before the firing squads are not hoping that their sacrifice will bring about the reappearance of a past. It is for the sake of a present and of the future they're willing to die. So he thinks that this can be used to understand decolonialization in general. He also talks about, this is a very interesting point. He's got this assertion, there is no Negro mission. There is no white burden. I find myself suddenly in a world in which things do evil, a world in which I'm summoned into battle, a world in which it's always a question of annihilation or triumph. I find myself in a world where words wrap themselves in silence, where the other endlessly hardens himself. My life is caught on the lasso of existence. My freedom turns me back on myself. I do not have the duty to be this or that. He began the book by talking about a sort of humanism. Humanism embraces humanity as a race as a problematic composed of people who've who've oppressed each other and continue to do so in terms of all sorts of things. In our recent history, race is is one of those. So he's rejecting this idea of there being for him a Negro mission, as well as of the white man's burden, as it was called. He also goes on and talks about rights and duties. What does he have the right and duty to do? He says, I find myself suddenly in the world and I recognize I have one right alone that of demanding human behavior from the other. So now this sounds as if he's getting away from race entirely. He's not though. The entire book is carrying out this diagnosis, but it has to lead to something that does go beyond just reinforcing races against each other. He goes on as well and he says, I have one duty alone, that of not renouncing my freedom through my choices. Now, here's where the existentialism comes in, right? That is prototypically existentialist, maintaining freedom. You can see this in Sartre and Dubois and and so many others, in in Camus, in Marcel, right? And he he goes on and he affirms a kind of solidarity at this point. I should also 
point out this other passage, I should constantly remind myself the real leap consists in introducing invention into existence. In the world through which I travel, I'm endlessly creating myself. I'm part of being to the degree that I go beyond it. And so he says, this is indeed the problem of action. I have to decide what I am going to do in this present. And I have to do so, he says, as, as a, a black man, but my situation is not unique in this respect. So demanding human behavior of the other, that's a good place to close upon. That is going to produce conflict. That is going to generate others saying, oh, you've got it wrong. For, you know, whether they're, they're people who are pro-colonialism and pro-racism or people who are anti, but also think that Fanon is maybe capitulating too much, right? There is multiple perspectives possible for those who want to exhibit some sort of solidarity and live out an ethical and in this view existentialist life. So Fanon is exposing himself to that and that is the position that he's taking about how to move forward. And why doesn't he have a, a complete program in place? Precisely because he's an existentialist, because he thinks people have to take responsibility within the situations that they find themselves in, which are going to be different in 1970, in 1990, in 2020, than they were at the time that he's writing this. But there is a coherent program here and one that relates itself to these other, what he considers to be mistaken paths for understanding the relations between blacks and whites. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.